2: Uh, That's the second
3: time it's done off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home those those
4: those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
3: Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the (laughs) team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
5: Thanks very much for joining us on the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Today we're talking LeBron James with the US Murph, Wexford Hurling with Liam Griffin, and Doping in Rugby with Johnny Watterson. But most importantly, we have Ken Early back in the country. He may have arrived back stripped of all electrical equipment,
3: Mm. but Ken is back. Back and rebuilding my... uh, You know, I'm I'm trying to start again, you know? yeah, Start again. I can't go on, I'll go on. (laughs) Mm.
0: But, I mean, a lot of people were very concerned, Ken. You wouldn't believe the Number of people that approached your co workers, one mm. in particular, I also was on the brunt of quite a few inquiries yeah. as to how you were holding up. I mean, in one way, it was nice, in another <laughs> you just, way, you
3: should tell them to email their sympathy to you know my email address. And I'd, mm. uh, yeah, I have my concerns, Ralph, that maybe mm. it indicates
5: that our society has become a little too materialistic, mm. that people were giving you that sympathetic nod because
3: just a just little because, too sentimental as well, yeah. you know, a bit of the, where you know. Not that I want to, you know, spurn all these offers of sympathy, you know, and, and make the people who offer them feel bad for doing <laughs> so, but just, you know, come on, you know, whatever happened to the stiff upper lip, whatever mm. happened to just, yeah, so, something bad happened, am I going to sit here and cry about it? No. I don't need your sympathy.
5: That's a British thing, though, isn't it? The stiff upper lip. I, Irish people do like to complain about stuff, isn't that our thing? It's
3: a, it's a kind of a, I suppose, a throwback from the from more austere times. Mm. You know, when when bad things happened all the time, and frankly, you just didn't want to. Worse you know, things and lose electrical equipment. Yeah, quite a lot of people would lose limbs and, and stuff in factory <laughs> machinery. Yeah, you know. So if if so, if you were to express sympathy over every little thing that went wrong, she every little your, finger finger or or, or or foot that went missing in a, in a giant steel cog, <laughs> you just you do not you do nothing but a moat. Mm. You know, it would just you lost get in the way your of notepad
0: or your little mini typewriter. All say, right. for instance, well, listen, I lost a leg last year. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to get too upset about this. No, this, Note pad.
3: this miracle machine that you've lost.
5: You probably want me to give a little bit more background on those pieces that I mentioned. And even if you don't, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Johnny Watterson spoke to the IRB about the recent WADA findings that place the sport of rugby above cycling, above athletics in terms of its percentage of positive tests. Then They are saying, the IRB are saying that this merely shows that they have a strong approach to testing and therefore they're catching the cheats. But we'll be exploring that idea in more detail, we're going to talk to U.S. Murph. A lot of people have been in touch with us about this to make sure that we don't let the, don't drop the ball on the LeBron James story because last time we spoke to Brian LeBron, I was about to say he was on the verge of moving to Cleveland. I mean, that wasn't true. He was There was talk he may go back to Cleveland, but it wasn't seen as by any means a done deal. It was then broken on Sports Illustrated in an open letter, uh, which I've sent on to you, Ken. I know you've mm. had a read of it over the last couple of days. This is The letter is about a week ago. A lot has happened since then. But just to go back to that part of it, This is the nub of it here. He says, this is not about the roster or the organization, says LeBron, who essentially is moving from glamorous Miami team to... Back to Rust Belt. Alan uh, going to Newcastle. Alan Shearer going to Newcastle is very similar to what it is. I feel my calling here goes above basketball. I have a responsibility to lead in more ways than one. And I take that very seriously. My presence can make a difference in Miami, but I think it can mean more where I'm from. I want kids in Northeast Ohio, like the hundreds of Akron third graders I sponsored through my foundation, to realize there's no better place to grow up. Maybe some of them will come home after college, start a family or open a business.
3: Yeah. Well, I thought they were nice sentiments. They are
5: nice sentiments. Yeah, no, I'm not not being cynical about them. I'm I'm really interested by them, and I'm interested to hear what Brian Murphy says about it because I've never seen a sports person, I don't think, have their reputation restored in such a manner as LeBron James in the last four years. I mean, he's a joke figure. He was reviled when he left Cleveland. And, okay, sure, the Miami fans since were happy that he won championships, and he was seen as maybe one of the greatest players of all time. But then, in making this move, in reversing... Uh, the, all, all the all the egotistical nature in which he made the original. People remember the Decision TV program that was aired on ESPN, which announced that he was going to take his talents to South Beach, I think was the phrase. Uh, it's, it's stunning stuff.
3: Well, uh, the, inf- the the information first. that's missing from the letter is how much money he's getting paid and uh, how much more money he reckons he can make as this sort of um, pure, uh, you know, this, this inspirational uh, leader of Ohio. You know, as opposed to just another star in the Miami Heat yeah. galaxy. I mean, that's if if you were to be cynical about it, you would say, "Well, you know, I, I don't know anything about the commercial basis of the move," and that's usually why professional sports people move from one team to another. I think you've hit on
5: something, but I don't think it's necessarily just—it's not the fact that he's going to get paid loads more over the next couple of years. In fact, those figures are out there. I don't have them to hand at the moment, but I—I I, I do feel it's a, about his legacy, and I know Dave Zirin is writing about this that this guy's been obsessed with his legacy from mm. the, when he was in high school. And not every sports person is. Even the great ones sometimes just want to be as great as they can at each stage. From a very early age, he uh, was so confident in himself that he understood he would go down as an all-time great. And that's fine. That's one thing. But then the other parts of that are, well, what are the other things that, that are going to differentiate me from the other all-time greats? Yeah. And one of them is, I'll go back and try to just win one more championship, well, one championship with my crappy old team.
3: Well, I, I think that it has become more of a... Uh, I mean, I think... I mean... The, you, you could read that letter and think, well, I, I mean, LeBron James sees himself as being quite important, doesn't he? I mean, <laughs> you know, there's this, there's this monumental self-importance of that, you know, I'm going to go to Ohio and inspire the state. You know, I'm reminded of that guy in The Simpsons. Remember the Archie? Is it Archie? Uh, don't tell anyone about my busy hands. Yeah. Uh, I'm so respected it would damage the town, you know, to hear. It. But, but, you know, you could say, but then again, he is the greatest athlete in the United States. He is a, he he is that important, you know. I mean, everybody, everywhere he goes, people are going to be. Oh my God, it's LeBron James! Every, literally everywhere he goes, for for the rest of his life, there's going to. Any time he walks into a restaurant, everybody in the restaurant's going to turn around and go, "Oh, it's LeBron James." I, I, you know, I'd that's say, been happening
5: since he was eighteen.
3: Since he, was, yeah. So how how could he not have that sense of? I mean, it's it's the correct, it's the appropriate sense of self-importance. And that's that how he self-aware
5: has. he is. He's aware yeah. of how important he is, but he's also aware of. How best to present himself? It's really yeah, it's,
0: you're kind of entering into a nearly a meta argument there, though, when you're talking about his legacy. And if a guy is so aware of his legacy, he's actually he's making decisions through the eyes of how people will see him mm. forty years from now, yeah. as opposed to what do I want to do? You know, uh, you know, it, it's it's not as a, a, a simple case of okay, what what do I want to do? What's the
3: right thing to do here? It's like he, how will I be judged? Um, in, in by posterity. Yeah. Like a pre- like the way a president, sort of, when he has the luxury of doing so, when he's not just thinking, how can I protect myself? <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> uh, you know, they think, in, they think in terms of legacy. But I think it's probably more common thing now among uh, great sports people who are written about an awful lot. You know, a lot of fancy articles are written about them, you know, which they're then reading. They're like hmm, You know, this legacy kind of stuff. I think it's, it's like, it's certainly, you can see it in, in soccer, it's more the case now that players are, are more aware of that, or more aware of their standing, or what they're going to leave. You know, I think Cristiano Ronaldo's been obsessed with it from a very yeah. early age as well. And yeah, so I mean, I think it's an interesting move by, um, Lebron. by him. And if he and if he did manage to win a title, it would be like you know what Stephen Gerrard didn't quite manage to do. You know, it would be a bigger. If
0: Gerrard had gone to Chelsea and then moved, won three leagues for Chelsea, and then decided, I don't want this anymore, I want to go back to Liverpool and win a league. Who I mean, That is an extraordinary story. There is yeah. a
3: kind of a case of it, isn't there? Well, Alan Shearer was
5: the case that you mentioned. Shearer yeah, sure didn't
3: league. win the sure didn't win the league. I'm trying to no, think of someone. Here. Oh, uh, Frank Rijkaard. Behind it. Frank Rijkaard going back to Ajax at the end of his career, having won the. European Cup with Milan a couple of times, yeah. and then winning the Champions League yeah. with the with the team of kids. In, See, LeBron's
5: uh, not at the end of his career though. That's the yeah. other thing. But well, he can
3: probably go for what eight nine, eight years. Maybe? He's twenty nine, and I get
5: you. Well, I, I wouldn't say eight years. I'd say the, the old limbs might give out by then. But the mm-hmm. um, but Rijkaard also probably uh, 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 Cleveland are no good. This is the other thing. They've got a couple of talented players. In fact they've got a couple of very talented players because they've been so bad. They've had a couple of number one draft picks. So maybe he's... But these guys have totally underperformed. Maybe he feels that he's going to be such a galvanizing presence that he he probably does believe that he could, can win a championship with them. And maybe that is as unlikely as it seemed that Ajax would win a championship, the Champions League in 95. But I think it's just slightly different in that it's a guy at the peak of his powers choosing clearly. And I, I th-
3: th- well I think a great player can make more difference in basketball than in Yeah. Definitely. I mean there's five players five players on a team. So if one of them is the best player in the world then yeah. that's better than one of your players being the best player in the world is eleven. I mean he players. managed
5: to get them into the NBA finals the first time around, um when he when they when he was much less developed yeah. as a player and they had pretty bad guys around him. But we'll start with the hurling story of the summer so far, which is Wexford knocking Claire out. They're up against Waterford this weekend. Delighted to be joined by Liam Griffin, manager of the last team that Wexford had that won in All-Ireland back in 1996, of course, and Liam's been part of the current setup with Liam Dunn. I'm delighted to talk to you, Liam, on the show, uh, first of all. I think everyone's looking forward to Saturday, but it's no harm looking back to Wexford Park last Saturday night, stunning result against Clare, and an unbelievable atmosphere. It just looked, it just looked crazy, really. Does a county need a night like that every now and again to galvanise the whole thing?
1: Yeah, I just think, you know... The shame is probably we have so few of those nights. Uh, that, that 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 I suppose is that was for 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 me. I'm in attending Wexford for a long time, but I've never I've never witnessed an atmosphere like that in Wexford Park. You know, it was an extraordinary set of circumstances, I suppose, but I I haven't witnessed it and uh, I think uh, it'd be great if we could see it much more often. To be honest,
5: yeah, and I guess the only way to I mean you've you've talked a lot about the promotion of the game, the promotion of hurling, and that's probably the way to promote it is to have have atmospheres, have occasions like that.
1: Yeah, well, if you take it from our point of view, you know, uh, we drew in Clare, as you know, obviously in Cusick Park, and it was a great atmosphere there as well, I have to say. And when we come back to Wexford, like if we were trying to do a, a PR campaign for the game of hurling and a, and a, and a, uh, an attempt to grow the game for our own youth and to let them see what it means to be from Wexford on a special night and a special in a, in a special game. We couldn't buy that type of a, uh, you know, we just couldn't buy it. So it's uh, it's uh, it's it's look at everyone, everyone's a winner, you know.
5: The uh, role of the young players on the team now and the underage success that Wexford have had is is particularly interesting. I don't know how you find it in terms of connecting with these young players now. Is it is it just the same as it always was for you? Are 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 twenty one year old lads now the same as they were in ninety six?
1: Um, very much, I think so. Yeah, I don't think there's a massive difference. I think society has changed a lot over over time. We seem to have a lot of people who are into physical fitness now, who are into a good lifestyle, who are into it, and then we seem to have the polar opposite to that, people who are into a completely different lifestyle for all the various reasons. I'm not going to go into those. And uh, society seems to be breaking down into a lot of, you know, in the, in the sporting world, if you just look up the streets and see the people cycling and all the various things, there's a big commitment to physical fitness now and, and to a lifestyle to back it up. And then there's the extraordinary... Uh, polar opposite position as well and both of those positions are, <coughs> are strong in society at the moment so I just think that for me as well I have been involved with underage all my life and uh, I've been involved with county minor teams oh, on and off for a long time but I've been involved with county minor teams for the last three or four years looking for talent trying to see there's more to being a selector than just picking a team I mean talent identification is more important than talent itself in many respects
5: Can you explain that a little bit more?
1: Well, you know, if you get a uh, if you get into a situation whereby you're, you're you're picking a team, I think everybody picks a team to win, and the pressure is uh, built up by fans and media and everybody else. If you don't win, you're, you're not going anywhere. I don't see it like that. I see it in a situation when you take in with, with an under sixteen team. Uh, there's a uh, you know you can see a lot of talent, and you can identify some talent. and identify maybe hidden gems of talent that are there as well. And I think it's such an important part of the development of young people because, uh, you know, we, I can think of a couple of our guys who weren't particularly good when they were 16 and 17, but are going to be great when they're 21, so long as that they're nurtured and brought forward. And I think that's, a, that's really what the job of a mentor selector should be, rather than looking for results so that... I, I know I'm not saying it's egotistical, but winning Minor All-Irelands is very good and great, and it's a very worthy thing. But identifying youth and people keeping people who may not get to that, aspire to that, is actually more important in my view. Uh,
0: your own specific role with um, with Liam Dunn's backroom team and with this with the senior team, you're you're talking there about, I suppose, your role in Wexford hurling as a whole. But with the senior team at the moment, what, what is your specific uh, your specific job well, job title? Well,
1: well, just to give you that, uh, I don't have a... I'm chairman of a hurling development committee. That's the only role I have in County Wexford. Anything else, I'm doing as if I'm asked. Uh, my role, I'd like to be, make it very clear, my role with the Wexford senior hurling team at the moment is very minor. Liam Dunham and myself happen to be great friends. Uh, he asked me would I come in and do, uh, do a, a few jobs for him, and, and, and I certainly was never going to say no. And uh, I certainly wouldn't advise myself and anybody in any mentor in any position. But uh, I was never going to say no to Liam because it's a it's a project that I have a passionate interest in myself, the growth and development of, it, of the game of Haringey and Wexford. And I don't see it as a a, a one match job. I don't see it as a as a two match job. I see it as a, as a long term project. And to get systems in place that will try and um, try to absolutely say it without any fear of um, you know offend anybody. To try and keep forcing the idea that we need to have systems and systems and plans all the time to, to to identify our talent, to bring on our talent, and to take them from the very time to start to play hurling right through to, like the journey from their seven years of age uh, to the time that they're going to play for Intercounty. Who would have thought that Conor McDonald at seven, ten years later, would be playing senior Intercounty hurling? And that's what happened. This journey is very short, but people see it as an All-Ireland Championship or see it as a, you know, as a big win this year. Those big wins uh, are great, but I think the long-term project is more important. And I think uh, Sean Moore wrote a very good article yesterday on the paper about the ghost of the past. And maybe mm. I'm a ghost of the past at this stage, <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, of where I, where, I, where I grew up in and the environment in which I grew up in and how how, how fantastic and wonderful it was and it was all based on the back of a county hurling team and uh, I just think that that, that the whole of Wexford was different in those days and it had a different feel and atmosphere about it and I just think that we slipped off the cliff and I just think that we should try and reclaim our our position and stay there this time.
5: I'm really interested in the points you raised there Liam about about underage success and what you deem that to be. It doesn't necessarily have to be winning all Ireland I saw Jack O'Connor recently talking about this before his minors he's he's in over the Kerry minors again and they were playing Cork in the uh, Munster final and he said you know while development is very important you do have to instill a winning mentality at some point and that he felt that it was time for Kerry to start winning at underage again which is maybe slightly different from the take that you have there
1: Well I don't want to come across all uh, philosophical but I think there's more to even there's more to that if you're training young people um, You know, you're training them for like I. I have a young guy a few years back wrote to me from the States where he's involved in doing a lot of work with young people, and he said he learned it first on the fields of our pitch, and uh, as a kid himself, and he was uh, he was always a sub practically, as he said himself. So it's a bigger journey, you know, without making such a big deal of it. I think it's a it's about a value system. It's about you know Kevin letting people live to their true potential. I think often in sport. Uh, we only pick, we only look for elite people, and uh, it's more. There's more to it than that. And I think. Uh, I think. I actually see some people who would never make it a hurling field could be absolutely outstanding coaches, and they've got good life skills, training, and management, or whatever to have, and they can bring it back to our game. You don't have to be an excellent player to make a massive contribution, in my view. Uh, if you've got some knowledge of the game and you've got an interest, why shouldn't it be cultivated? So it's a, It's much broader than just that winning all the time. I think that winning all the time. I know when I was younger, maybe I was much more driven to be winning, but. Uh, as I grow older and uh, as I know from my own life's experience I had to give up when I was 21 years of age and go abroad to to work so uh, you get different experiences and I just think all of those experiences are seriously valuable to our game and the growth and development of it
5: It sounds like you're uh, you remain obviously very close to Liam Dunn there you call him a friend is that part of what appeals to you about being involved you say it's a minor role you have but to to get involved with the senior team
1: Yeah no look Liam Dunn asked me and uh, uh, you know it's like uh, you know the easiest thing in the world if you've been a manager before is to probably stand back and become a, a critic and that's acceptable too there's no problem with that but like I don't put my ego on the line on the basis of a Wexford team does it, if it does well or badly if I, if I can make a trans- contribution obviously if that's, if, that's, uh, if that's after me I will do it and there's no strings attached if it's the right person that wants me to do a job and I can help why wouldn't I like and uh, I have a passionate interest in my own county but myself and I'm are great friends there's no question about that and have been for many years even before I took over the Wexford job so Naturally enough, if FIFA I could do something, sure, of course I was going to do it, but it, it is a minor role, and Liam Dunn is the manager, and his management team are managing the team, and they're doing a great job, an absolutely fantastic job, and I think... I think anybody... I know in my time I brought in experts from the outside to help me uh, and, and give them the stage if I felt they were able to do it and just let them get on with it. Like I mean, I'm involved in management all my life. I have a lot of people working within my organisation and uh, they're, 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 they're invaluable to us. They're, some of them are doing jobs that I couldn't do myself. So I think the measure of management is about utilising every facility that you have available to you because it's not all about me. I didn't win the Ireland for Wexford and that's the truth and I'm not saying that to be self-dismissive. I didn't. Uh, I certainly fas- facilitated it and I worked bloody hard to try and make sure we did it but I wasn't playing I didn't do it myself when I was playing uh, I think I could have done but I didn't and that's a lovely little dream to have uh, Be a lot of fellas tell you I couldn't have ever done it but that's neither here nor there so I just think management is the art of getting the job done and, uh, and I think that uh, if you look for all the credit for yourself um, that, 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 that diminishes the chance of ever being a winner
0: uh, Saturday evening in Nolan Park and this is kind of set up in a lot of ways for Waterford. You know, they've they've been forgotten about they had a very low key victory over Leash in the last round of the qualifiers. Wexford have been, you know, in the eye of the, the public scrutiny for the last two weekends, two brilliant games. It's it's kind of ideal for, for Waterford in a lot of ways coming into this game.
1: It is, but I still don't think it's any better than a 50-50 chance. I think we've got a 50-50 chance. I think they have as well, obviously, but uh, I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't play us down. I think we've got a, we've got a good chance of beating Waterford. They've got an equally good chance of beating us. It's going to be what happens on the night, to use a cliche, but I think that, uh, I think we have a great chance. I think they have a very good chance, and I think it's up to us to get out there and try and win that game and, and, and uh, uh, I, think we, I think we've got the ability to do it. But I also respect Waterford greatly as well because they've been, they've been doing great work in Waterford as well. So, look, it's, uh, it's anybody's game at this point, but we're going to go, on, obviously, and give it everything we have again, I'm sure of that. And I'm sure that Liam Dunn will make sure of that. And I'm sure that the players will do that.
5: All right. Well, listen, Liam, enjoy the game. And listen. thanks so much for talking to us today.
1: No problem, Ciarán.
5: Thank you. Fascinating stuff there from Liam Griffin. He's always a really interesting guy to talk to, I have to say. Although, if he doesn't want to give you a clear answer, he, he doesn't have to. Yeah. I mean, we asked him a couple of different ways there. What his exact role is? Ah, uh, don't worry about that. I'm just doing. A, I've just got a minor role in there.
0: Maliki Clerkin I think, may have said it best on our show on, when, on Monday night when he on Monday when he said that he was basically a vibes man like uh, Bez and the Happy Mondays, <laughs> um, and I think that might actually be it. But I mean, if you've ever met Liam Griffin, if you've ever spoken to him on the phone as we just did, it's blatantly clear that the man is an extremely enthusiastic, infectious kind of guy, and I think that that's. When you have a guy like Liam Dunn who has a very definite idea of how he wants the game to be played, how he wants to manage a team, having a guy around like Liam Griffin who has instant respect, has managed a lot of these players at underage level, I mean, it's in a way it's kind of a no-brainer if there's no ego involved, and there doesn't appear to be an ego involved here. They which could is, lose
5: to Wexford, to Waterford though.
0: They could very easily, very easily, and but it, it again it kind of depends on what Waterford team shows up as well. I mean, they played brilliantly in the drawn game against Cork, absolutely brilliantly. Um, were terrible wretched the second day really um, so you don't know Watford are at a weird stage in their development as well they've got an awful lot of young players as well um, so yeah I mean you would still be backing Wexford just but it really it. that game last Saturday was a huge huge game and they need to come down from that pretty quickly
5: Let's Talk LeBron
3: Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses.
2: I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible
4: and selfish behavior.
1: You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if
0: that's good, I'm there.
4: Straight three called, and the Jays have won the World
5: Hi Murphy. How are you this week?
4: I am great, Owen. We're here in the middle of the summer. we got uh, NFL training camps coming up. And, um, of course, I know you guys could care less, but we had our uh, Major League Baseball All-Star game yesterday. So a little buzz about that as we head into baseball. But uh, I know just the... the America's pastime has failed to grip the imagination of Ireland. But that's okay, Owen. We're still buds.
5: Yeah, but uh, we're nothing if not, um, I don't know, celebrity worshippers, Brian, no more than the the good people of America. So we do know all about LeBron moving. And we were talking about this last week. It was bubbling away, but it's it's completely exploded. He's now back in Cleveland.
4: Isn't it incredible? I think our last chat, we talked about this. In fact, I know we talked about this in our last chat. And we talked about sort of the mind-blowing possibility that he actually might go back to Cleveland. And we talked about – I remember when we were talking about it, it was kind of like, well, that's – you know. I mean, yes, it's been mentioned. Yes, it's on the table. Yes, but there's no way this is going to happen. It just seemed almost too, I don't know, fantastic of a story, too, too unbelievable of a story. I really – I mean, I'm just trying to think of a – I think last week we even said I can't really think of an appropriate analogy of a guy who went from being, you know, ultimate icon – Local god, civic deity, to total pariah, uh, ultimate villain, uh, you know, uh, enemy number one, public enemy number one, to now coming back again to uh, rose petals and parades and triumph. It really is quite remarkable. And how he did it, too, has inspired a lot of debate, a lot of discussion about the manner in which he chose to announce it. Uh, but he did it. Cleveland Cavaliers and. I think I mentioned this to you last week. It's kind of amazing that Cleveland, the city, is really, almost inarguably, the saddest sack sports city in America. I mean, San Diego's never really won any championships either, but San Diego has sunshine and beaches, and they don't really care. Cleveland has rust and snow, and they care a lot. It's an incredible sports town, but they have nothing to hang their hat on. Not since 1964 when Jim Brown won the NFL title, and now here they are. Immediately installed as NBA favorites to win the uh, to win the NBA championship next year, although we can debate that too. There's a long way to go, but yeah, just so many permutations to the story. On. Yeah, there really
5: are. But let's start maybe with how it it was broken, and that was you mentioned there that there is debate about or the reasons or the merits of him doing what he did but essentially he got in touch with a Sports illustrator writer who him and his team trust, Lee Jenkins and the piece came out on SI.com in a first-person narrative almost like an open letter and we've talked a little bit about some of what he said in that piece earlier on. It seemed like a pretty classy way to do it to me, but I have seen some rumblings of bits of criticism. I don't know. You said there was a debate around it. Do people have an issue with it at all?
4: It's kind of funny. Isn't it funny, Owen? It's like the, the more you hang around this world, the more you realize, like, you know, there are just... And I don't know whether it's the age we live in or if it's always been this way with the human condition, but cynicism runs amok. I mean, there are many people who just don't believe things can be what they are. There's always a belief that human beings act with ulterior motives, that human beings don't act in pure motives. Uh, I I don't know. It's hard to describe the LeBron thing. I I thought, listen, I thank the cynics, though. Cynics provoke thought, and they provoke you to think as to whether their position has any merit at all whatsoever. Because, for example, I was like you. I was pretty impressed, by how it went down, I thought, well first of all, the fact that he's going back is impressive, not because the Miami Heat were getting a little older and you know some people say, well, you know the Miami Heat are getting older, maybe they don't have another run in them he's going to he, he's making an escape. That was one of the cynical takes. and I was like, no, not really. I mean he's taking a chance at Cleveland. That, that roster, I mean yes, there's young talent, no question, but it's super young talent that's very raw and very undeveloped. Kyrie Irving, a great player, still hasn't won anything. Uh, Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins, their number one draft picks the last two years. These guys are just puppies, man. So <laughs> there really isn't a championship roster there. So for me, that was one of the impressive aspects of it was he's not going to the to the Lakers and Kobe. He's not going to the Houston Rockets and Dwight Howard and James Harden. He's not even going to the Golden State Warriors where Steph Curry, you know, another superstar, is. I mean, I know Kyrie Irving is a borderline superstar at this point in his career, but still... It's not a great situation where as he himself said in his piece, I can't promise any championships here, you know. And it, they may, and they certainly got a lot better by adding the best player on the planet, that's for sure. But I was in kind of, you know, it's not exactly a a automatic championship by going to Cleveland. There's going to be some work. I mean, the roster the roster going to take some work. So that was impressive. And yeah. then too, you know, he didn't he didn't well, I was going to say he didn't make a spectacle out of himself, but some people say he did by by making the Si um, arrangement. I, my impression was that he didn't. It was like he kind of put it to bed right then and there by putting the piece out by writing the letter. He, you know, he sort of just kind of made it. It's one and done. Like this, here it is. There's no press conference that needs to be had. There's no dry ice and hydraulic lifts like they had in Miami. It's just a a well written, well reasoned piece. Now inside that piece was you know some pretty grandiose language. Like I owe it to my community, to lead, you know, I owe it to the kids to be an example. And I thought that was, you know, pretty nice stuff, but I met people around my workplace who said, who does this guy think he is? He thinks he's a saint? He thinks he turns water into wine? What a self-aggrandizing load of BS, uh, some people said to me. And I thought, gosh, I guess it just depends on your perspective in life, you know, on what you view as, um, you know, ultimately a person's motives. I look at it this way. He's not going to a winning situation. He is going home. He does mean a lot to those people. He does sort of acknowledge that he made a mistake by handling it the way he did. He's not holding a grudge against the Cavaliers' owner, who, quite frankly, he could hold a grudge against this guy. He left that letter, Dan Gilbert, that mm. mocking letter, on his website for years. So,
5: Can you just remind us of that element of it, Brian? There are so many strands to this story, but he had to, and we had something, well maybe not quite as severe, but Roy Keane, when he became the assistant manager to Martin O'Neill quite recently here in, in Ireland, uh, had a bit of a bridge to rebuild with John Delaney, who's the the chief executive of the FAI, the Football Association here, because those two had had issues in the past and people didn't, people just kind of assumed that they wouldn't work together, but they have. And uh, Dan Gilbert, maybe a little bit more, he was hugely critical of LeBron when LeBron moved from Cleveland.
4: He was. I mean, if you go back and read the letter uh, I mean, he basically scorched earth, you know, left no no bridge unburned. Uh, Dan Gilbert basically said it's over, you know, and then, of course, the ridiculous pledges that, it, that LeBron would never win a championship in Miami and the Cavaliers would win a championship before uh, he would. I mean, it was very personal. And go back and read it. It was very, um, oh, it was as angry as it gets. But it's almost a lesson in... You know, Dan Gilbert talking about emotional reactions and publicly emotional reactions and what it means and and how long you should hold a grudge. and Now, for Dan Gilbert, of course, it's a no-brainer to turn the page because he's a businessman and he, A, wants to win and B, wants to make money, or I should say flip-flop that. A, wants to make money and B, wants to win. And LeBron brings both. I think uh, they sold out their season tickets, I think, in a heartbeat as soon as LeBron came back. I'm sure their TV rights are going to go up through the roof, so there's going to be all sorts of financial benefits, so there's a real reason for Dan Gilbert to want to, want to, want to turn the page. Plus, he was embarrassed. I mean, LeBron won two championships uh, before the Cavaliers even made the playoffs. Uh, LeBron made four straight NBA Finals. The Cavaliers became a joke that had to have the first pick in the draft two years in a row. So I understand it on Gilbert's end to want to turn the page. He, he I, I see him as just kind of a, an opportunist in a way. of like, oh, man, give me some money, give me some wins. So, But it was LeBron forgiving Gilbert is another thing. I mean, he could easily have gone to any other team. First of all, he could have re-signed with Miami. Miami, Miami, you know, brought back Dwayne Wade, brought back Chris Bosh. I mean, they're still going to be a good team. They've added some pieces now, Luol Dang and – and people like that, Mike Miller. So they're going to be good. I mean, he could have gone back to Miami for maybe two more years, something like that. So that's what I mean about LeBron's motives being, I think, a little, a little more impressive than I gave him credit for. Because he is forgetting a lot of negative feelings and a lot of negative vibes. Don't forget, they burned his jersey. Now it may have only been a couple of knuckleheads, but the image endured burning his jersey in the street. So he's not just uh, going back to where he doesn't necessarily have a guaranteed winning situation. He's going back by putting aside grudges and he wrote it in that piece who am i to hold a grudge and it makes you think as a person if you have any grudges going in your life right now uh whether it's personally or professionally you start thinking about hmm i wonder who am i to hold a grudge well lebron isn't so i was you know again i might be i think in m- most of my life i've been less cynical than other people trying to find some sort of glimmer in this uh, trail of tears we call life <laughs> So I've I've I sort of give I applaud LeBron for the way it all went down. And by the way, I'd add that the one last note here on that Lee Jenkins, the guy he chose to write it, is one of Sports Illustrated's most gifted writers. And so if you want to, if you ever want to have a message of your own, the own McDevitt apology, <laughs> have Lee Jenkins write it for you because <laughs> he's able to craft it in a very art artful and uh, some would say uh, a cynic would say propaganda. Style way, but I would just say it read quite well, too. Yeah,
5: well, I've, I read a follow up piece that Lee Jenkins did where he gave more background to it, and uh, it definitely was I don't know if propaganda is the right word, but it was very much in favor of LeBron. I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's probably an old enough lesson in journalism that a guy's not going to let you break a story like this if he doesn't, um, if you haven't written nice things about him in the past for the most part. But Jenkins was saying that LeBron never forgot his roots in Cleveland, that he maintained his corporate offices there. Uh, Johnny Manziel, you mentioned, Johnny Football is involved now. Now, he's in Cleveland and after the draft, apparently LeBron could be seen walking around with his Johnny Manziel Cleveland jersey. <laughs> a fan charged up to him during a game in Cleveland a couple of years ago, maybe last year, and asked him to come back. And rather than freaking out about this breach of security, LeBron patted the guy in the head and then followed him on Twitter later that day. So it seems as though, certainly the way Jenkins um, phrased it and the way he presented it, LeBron just really loves where he comes from and, and, and wants to show that, you can actually, the the talented people don't have to move away. I mean, it's not the most glamorous part of America, but you can always go to college, you know, uh, go away. There doesn't have to be a brain drain or maybe a muscle drain in this case.
4: Yeah, man, that's the positive spin. And that is, and that is to me, I mean, to me, actions speak louder than words, right? I mean, he's doing it. And so, I mean, I read, there's a guy named Gene Weingarten of the Washington Post. You might want to read that piece. I always like to throw my links out there Mm. as far as a cynical view of it, he's a good writer, Gene Weingarten. He's not even a sports writer, actually. One of his big problems was everybody in journalism circles credited Sports Illustrated with a quote-unquote scoop. And Gene Weingarten's argument was a scoop is something that somebody doesn't want reported, you know that. And he's right about that. It wasn't really a scoop so much as it was an exclusive. I think that's a better word. But he also said he thought it was a load of BS and a load of a load of PR. Uh, a uh, self-serving PR rehab. And I thought, well, I mean, I understand what you're saying. LeBron does paint himself in pretty flattering light here, saying what I can do for these kids. But the fact of the matter is I keep returning to the action itself. Mm. He's doing it. I mean, he's not he's not just saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to raise some money or send a check or whatever. He's moving back to Cleveland. You know, he's moving back to those bad winters. He's moving back to where there's not a great economy. He's moving back to where, you know, like you talked about the population drain and the brain drain and all that. I mean, he's doing it. And so he's 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 walking the walk and that's so You know, to me, that's the ultimate. It's like, okay, well, where is he going to be? He's going to be in Cleveland. Is it going to affect a kid in his old neighborhood? Maybe. Is it going to affect that kid positively? Maybe. Is he going to be able to be in his old neighborhood talking to those kids more because he's physically there? Yes. You know, is he going to try to bring Cleveland its first championship in 50 years? And, you know, I've seen it here in San Francisco, which is a city awash in money, Silicon Valley money. We are just in a huge bubble of cash here. And even at that The Giants' two World Series championships brought incredible amounts of civic pride. You guys know how it is when Ireland wins Six Nations Rugby or does anything good in in, in any international sport or any county that wins the GAA with Donegal a couple years ago, right? I mean, it, it, it matters in this brief existence we have. You can have those communal civic moments. He's trying to do that for Cleveland. He's trying to give them that moment that the Boston Red Sox have and the Seattle Seahawks have and the San Antonio Spurs have. So, I, again, I don't want to be portrayed as a sucker, uh, as somebody who doesn't see the cynical side. I, I read it. I acknowledge it. It's it's definitely a harsh view to view him as a PR spin BS Thrower and sure, I think he does have a bit of narcissism for sure. I mean, he's proven that in the past. Any any of these great athletes, I think, have to have it to a certain degree. I think guys like Roger Federer and Tiger Woods have it too. So, uh, but he's going to be there, and to me, that's like that's impressive. He's going back to Cleveland to a to a lousy team to a to a depressed city, and he's going to go throw on that jersey and be there for those people. And for that, I give him a win.
5: One element, Brian, of it which. I don't know if you agree with or not. And it doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't have to be seen as a cynical thing one way or the other, but he seems to be a guy who is very, very obsessed with his legacy. Maybe every great sports person is, but it seems like right from the time he was 16, this guy knew what he needed to do and how he wanted to be remembered. And it could be that if he somehow drags this ramshackle outfit, gets them together over the next maybe two, three years, whatever amount of time he has to do it, wins one championship with them, he might feel that puts him on a even though he's not going to ever get Michael Jordan six or whatever it was, he might be seen in a different, more positive way in 10, 15, 20 years.
4: I don't think there's any question. That's a great take and that he, he, and I think your original point in that in that statement there was that he, he is very concerned with how he is viewed. Some people aren't. You know, some you look at some great sports heroes, but we talked about Ted Williams years ago on this show. He was a great American sports hero who could care less what people thought of him. He just pursued his craft I think Tiger's kind of that same way too. I think he, while I called him a narcissist, I don't think he cared if people liked him or not. LeBron is just one of those guys who cares if people likes him. There's an insecurity there too, which I think is part of the reason why he he is doing all this. And I agree. I think he knows that if he brings the Cavaliers to a championship, he does something he did something that Michael Jordan never did. Michael Jordan never went back to his hometown in North Carolina and uh, you know and brought them a championship, the Charlotte Bobcats or whatever, you know, now granted there's not nearly a, as much of a sporting history in Charlotte, North Carolina as there is in Cleveland, Ohio, which has, you know, had the Cleveland Indians since 1901 and had football since the 1920s, you know. So, yeah, if he if he can do that, he becomes, I think most people agree that it would be one of the great I think people were already saying it last Friday in sports media in America that if he brought them to a championship, it would be one of the great stories you know, in recent American sports history, up there with like the '04 Red Sox, you know, breaking their streak, and other great uh, American sports stories we've seen in the last, you know, ten, twenty, thirty years, because the, the mere idea of saying Cleveland World Champions or, or NBA champions, I should say, is, is is kind of just a comical statement. You know, he did take them to the finals when he was a kid, remember, and they played the San Antonio Spurs and got quickly swept out. But he was an infant then, and he really was. And he talked in that piece about his time in Miami, he analogized it to a kid going away to college, you know, and and you graduate from high school, and you're kind of immature, and mom's been doing your laundry for you, and and then you got to go away, and you got to get your own meals, and do your own studying, and do your own laundry, and and you become more of a man, you become more of a person, and and I think that analogy kind of holds true. I think he did, well, all his stuff in Miami wasn't perfect, and there was still some you know some a little bit of the narcissistic behavior going on i think it nodded him to to know that as he grew older i think he's gonna be 30 now 29 or 30 years old when you are turning 30 now you get a little more reflective and yeah it's a chance for him to have a legacy and and into and to do something for that town and that city gosh if he can Mm -hmm. it'd be something else
5: what about the cleveland supporters who were burning his jersey four years ago (laughs) but i'm sure they've all stuck by their principles right
4: Right. I said he was a bum and he's still a bum. Yeah, no way. You want to talk about turning on a dime, right? A 180. I mean, I'm sure you guys saw the footage, or if you didn't, that even when the rumor was that he was considering coming back, fans actually drove to his house and just like parked outside his house and just like kind of stood there. So almost, I mean, almost like a pathetic pilgrimage or some sort of spiritual pilgrimage to Lourdes or something, you know, it's like they just went. They just wanted to like be there. Just no real message. Just stand there and stare at the house. It's like, oh my god, man, that guy's a stinking basketball player, man. Come on. So yes, the answer to your question is they've almost entirely. I read interviews and saw people from Cleveland say, if if there is anybody who's against it it's about maxing at it about 1%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's rocking at about a 99% approval rating right now, and just because there's always going to be somebody that's against something. And some people thought, I don't know if you guys read uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's piece in Time Magazine. Uh, and Kareem's an interesting guy, man. For being one of the greatest players in the history of, of American basketball, he's one of the more thoughtful guys. The piece is a little scattered. He wrote it for Time Magazine, but he, you know, he acknowledges that, hey, LeBron is in some ways... Like an adulterous husband who left for his secretary and now wants to come back and get back together with his slightly overweight wife, uh, you know, he said it's in some ways it's kind of a uh, it's kind of uh, a plea for love and acceptance, you know. But in other ways, like, he, it Kareem acknowledges, you know, he says in other ways it is a, a nice move and it is a, an impressive thing. He also says you, you really can't truly go home again the same person that the LeBron that's coming home is a different guy, changed by his Miami experiences, and in some ways for the worse and in some ways for the better. So it's all part of life, and it's all part of the score of scar to, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Cleveland fans burn his jersey. Cleveland fans threw rocks at his uh, billboard. You know, Cleveland fans, the owner wrote the letter, and now guess what? Uh, it's like anybody you know in life who's a husband and wife who've reconciled, a boyfriend and girlfriend who've reconciled, whatever. It's all, it's all good when you get queue re- up Reunited by Peaches and Herb. Remember that beautiful song from, what was it, 1979? Come on, baby, that's a classic for R&B tune from the late 70s. That's the song, Reunited, and here they go, and it feels so good. I love it, Brian. Listen, I'm sure it's been keeping
5: you going all week. Great story. Thanks a million. All right, on all the best. I am really interested in the Michael Jordan comparison. We talked a little bit about it there with Brian. It just struck me as we were chatting, I remember reading that piece, uh, which I, I'm getting up in front of me here. This is the, what's it, Jordan at 50, it was called, by Roy Thompson on ESPN mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And uh, he was, he, I have it here, LeBron, so this is a, a piece about Michael Jordan, a portrait of him as, a, you know, just around his 50th birthday, still as competitive as he always was. In part of it, the LeBron James comparison is coming up quite a bit during it, and you can see, well, it's actually explicitly Michael Jordan states, what are you talking about this guy? So I wouldn't even be the best. You know, he, look at the guys he's up against. They're no good. I mean, I was in my prime against the best players ever, all this kind of stuff. But there's a really telling bit where Jordan is watching a match uh, that's on and LeBron is playing. And he notices a particular kink in LeBron where if he goes left, he's going to shoot. And if he goes to the right of the defender, he's always going to drive to the basket. And it gets to a point where Jordan doesn't even have to look up. He, he hears LeBron shoots and then he just kind of says he's on his iPad or whatever it is and just goes, he went to the left, didn't he? and everyone else is like, yeah. So essentially Jordan is getting these things 100% right while being unbelievably curmudgeonly <laughs> and former athlete <laughs> about watching LeBron James there. I mean,
0: it's like, that's why the Maradona comments about Lionel Messi this week created such a stir because people care about this and it's a really human thing, I suppose, to go down in history as... To to guard that unbelievably jealously that idea that you're the best player your country's ever produced or the best player a sport has ever produced it it's re- I remember reading that and I remember just saying that is unbelievable that he would say that with a journalist in the room because it's <laughs> 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 you know it's it's so telling like it's such a telling
3: well, what was this for Messi it no, was it the point. no the, the, the oh that Jordan would yeah, be yeah, saying yeah, yeah, that
0: he would be so open about that. open with a journalist in the room yeah. when it's the thing that people want to hear Jordan talk about more than probably <laughs> anything else. I mean, Jordan is relevant to today's basketball only in that com- in that
3: comparison in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh yeah. This the, was the plot line of Rocky 6, wasn't it?
5: Rocky I know, 6. Have I never see Rocky. Seen Rocky, six. Rocky is, that, is that Rocky Balboa? Is that the is that what it's called?
3: Rocky Balboa, yeah. The m-
5: relatively recent one.
3: Yeah, and so so um Basically, there's some kind of ESPN type talk show where they're simulating fights between boxers from different eras. And, you know, and uh, I don't know if if Rocky loses in this simulation or some. But anyway, there's a lot of the old pros are getting a bit irate about this. Oh, you know, I would have beaten, you know. And Rocky, anyway, ends up.
5: uh, Fighting Antonio Tarver or something like this. Yeah, he's some actual boxer.
3: Yeah, he fights like the current world heavyweight champ, even though Rocky is like 70 years old. And uh, and he's got these big drooping drooping uh, you know, man boobs. He gets in the ring and uh, and he goes 15 rounds. I don't want to spoil the movie, but he he
5: is, is it an uplifting tale?
3: Uh, I think he may, maybe he loses on points, or but he's definitely still standing at the end of the yeah. The and the that's fight. all you
5: need when you're 17, you're fighting in a heavyweight title fight. If you're still standing, if you, you go the Guthrie, 15 you know, rounds, that's a heartwarming.
0: Story. He
3: takes the usual massive beating. Yeah, but he
5: took a fair few of them over there,
0: the But, but he's
3: the he's the big. Uh, big sort of purple head on him still there do you still often standing think, do
5: you often think watching those Rocky movies has anyone taught this guy to jab? <laughs> what about <laughs> sticking? throwing a lot of, a lot of uh, big, big, big big punches big looping right hooks there I
0: mean when they connect grand, but you are leaving yourself what, slightly what, actually
3: what do you think happens halfway through the fight?
0: he
5: gets knocked down
3: no, well, I think, um, I can't remember that in that detail. His
0: wife comes in and tries to stop the fight?
3: <laughs> no, uh, no, no, she, I don't think she's... Mikhail like, Gorbachev makes a appearance? <laughs> no, uh, he turns the tide. Uh-huh. Things, things are that, looking pretty bad. Things really? are looking really bad, but he, he suddenly connects with a couple of bits, and then he turns the tide, and suddenly he's, he's got the champ rattled, and, uh, and he comes back at him, and it's like he's pounding sides of beef again. <laughs> uh, and then, and then, the, the, then the fight's over, and the champ respects him.
5: Second Capitals football is out now.
1: That's. Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Yeah, you can laugh. I need to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be
4: like me. You well, don't know what you're talking about. What well,
2: yeah. did you know Just i like to, just... to stay alive with your
4: legs. I'd say it to you, but it's not saying it well, to we'll now. i am
1: come down to Anfield and we'll see them. All what right. you're doing down here, you shawnee man?
3: <laughs> well. I suppose like that great uh, reptile of the Amazon jungle, Owen, uh, the anaconda. Uh, It likes to eat big, big chunks of food and then takes a long time to digest them. It lies there in a state of torpor. Uh, with the uh, water pig or whatever it is that is having to swallow, uh, slowly moving down that mammoth digestive tract, getting smaller <laughs> and smaller until at the end all that comes out is a is a couple of trotters and a, and some tusks, <laughs> and that's that's this that's where we are at with this World Cup, We're we're close to finishing but not quite finished. We're lying there by the bank of the Amazon, digesting. Uh, Digesting the World Cup, and that's what's coming up. Di- uh, World <laughs> Cup digest.
5: <laughs> Richie Sadler is helping us with this.
3: Richie, Richie's
5: deep into the digestive
4: tract.
3: And Raphael Honigstein reports from the great city of London on <laughs> on the German homecoming. London is is the uh, is the capital of Europe, a status to which Berlin, which was the actual venue of the German homecoming, once aspired. And uh, he's going to tell us how that victory is going down. Is it the greatest ever German team? We don't know, but it's certainly the most popular in Germany.
5: Let's talk doping in rugby, which hasn't been, hasn't seen as much of an issue as in some other sports, but there has been a recently published finding from the World Anti-Doping Agency, which could be a cause of concern. Johnny Watterson has been reporting this story for the Irish Times. Johnny, thanks very much for popping down to us. Good, thanks Alan, yeah. Listen, we want to talk to you about the PCI yesterday in the Irish Times, which was a reaction to a WADA report that came out last week. Maybe we might just explain what the WADA report is first of all. Essentially, they um, collate all the data from their accredited labs and publish, I guess, a list of of, um, different sports and how they're doing in positive tests in in doping.
2: Yeah, WADA collect all of the data from 33 laboratories around the world. Um, It's probably one of the biggest scientific experiments if you want to call it that undertaken uh, in sport but they do that and they collate them just into figures, they don't comment on them they don't say what's good or what's bad they just present the figures and you can look at the figures and see what they've come up with uh, they're a respected agency all of the laboratories are accredited by the International Olympic Committee so they're all very credible um, they did I think, over 170,000 tests on both blood and urine. So it's certainly one of the biggest uh, undertakings I've heard of. Um, it's bigger than what a university could do. It's probably bigger what a country like Ireland could do. So it, it, it's informative and it, it's massive.
5: You got some reaction from the IRB this week, and I guess the reason you were interested in what they had to say was that rugby came out... I was going to say top of this list, bottom of this list. It depends what way you want to you wanted to describe it.
2: Yeah, rugby, rugby came out sort of middle uh, c- compared to NFL. Rugby was very good in, in terms of the number of negative samples they got. But what what was interesting is that both cycling and athletics came out better than rugby. Mm. Uh, it was only by a point per, point a ten point ten percent, a very small figure, but still. Uh, those things make make you prick up. Certainly, given what cycling's gone through in the 90s and the noughties, uh, it was one of the worst offenders and for rugby to find itself in a water report worse off than cycling was probably embarrassing for them. They said to you,
5: it doesn't mean that rugby is less clean than those other sports. Uh, you can't deduce that. What it shows is that an intelligent anti-doping program in rugby is working and catching those using illegal substances, uh, which is a fair comment, but I guess this is the same stuff that we have heard from cycling over the years and from athletics as well. It's, 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 probably, it's probably a fair comment that they make, but it does just,
2: the, the figures do highlight that there is an issue in rugby. I think it does highlight there is an issue and because rugby is played the way it's played, I think a lot of people w- would agree. But the, the thing about sports bodies is that they say what suits them. You can either say that the testing is very good, so we're catching people. Or like FIFA, you could say, we're such a clean sport, we don't catch anyone because they're not taking it. You you know, if you, it, So it cuts both ways, or at least sporting bodies try to make it cut both ways. You have FIFA saying there were no positive tests at the World Cup, therefore soccer is a very clean sport. And then you have rugby saying, oh, well, our, our, our score is quite high. But that's because we're rigorously testing and we're catching the cheats. So, uh, you know, I think you just look at the figures and certainly WADA... I think one of the strengths of of the water report is that it's just figures. They don't try and interpret them. They don't put a spin on any of it and they don't comment on it. They just say, this is what we found. And I think you've got to just take it like that.
5: The argument that rugby can make if they want is that maybe there's
2: there's
5: not a traditional culture of doping as such and that they could make that argument very legitimately in comparison to say cycling. But the danger might be that a culture has to start somewhere and a culture is something that develops. So you do have to stay on top of these things to ensure perhaps that it doesn't start seeping in at the end that in 10 and 15 years, we're not actually talking about it in terms of, well, maybe there's a culture developing here.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. That does happen. And in fairness to the IRB, one of the things they did say was that they are targeting their under 20 players. And we, we all know there's a culture in schools and there's a culture of underage rugby where they take supplements, where they take creatine, where they take on licensed products, basically. And that is a cultural thing. All that does is encourage them to believe that the only way t- to succeed is taking these products. And I think it's probably a sensible thing for the IRB to target under 20 players, and uh, maybe to, to break that culture when they're younger rather than tr- facing, facing the consequences when they're older. And is that where they feel the issue is? And
5: I don't know if they f- feel that maybe the stats are somewhat... Uh, um, maybe buttressed by players under twenty taking supplements, taking all this kind of stuff. Is is that what the IRB would would think?
2: That was the inference in what they said. Uh, they didn't explicitly say that, but they did say they were tar- targeting underage players in conjunction with a, an educational program. And I, I believe that's true, and they are doing that. But at the same time, you know, they were pushing they were pushing their own figures and their own number of positives that they got were only a fraction of the figures that WADA came out with. So then you have a a credibility issue. Do you believe an international body or do you believe a governing body testing their own players? And I think most people would look at the WADA figures rather than the IRB figures. Cycling is an interesting case,
5: and everyone would accept that it's certainly cleaner than it was 10 years ago. But you do still have... (laughs) The old guard, Stephen Roach, came out yesterday part of a very interesting, a good idea by the Telegraph at the Dutch newspaper. So they interview all the surviving members, surviving Tour de France winners. A couple of them didn't want to speak. I think Contador might have been among them. But of the, I think it was 23 who did actually speak, and 12 of them said that the question they were asked was, should Lance Armstrong have his titles reinstated? 12 of them said yes. So uh, roughly around half of them said he should. And in Stephen Roach's case, he said... Armstrong should stay on the list. In the 100-year history of the race, you can't not have a winner for seven years. Doping has been part of sport, not only for cycling, for decades. Who tells me Jacques Antiquille won clean? Should we take his victories away? Or why does Richard Virenque get to keep his polka dot jerseys?
2: Were you struck by these as, uh, odd comments? I was struck by Stephen Roach miscalculating public opinion on this issue. Um, I was struck by the fact he's suggesting a tolerance to dope taking and I was struck by the fact that he seems to think some sort of historical continuity is more important than the impression it it would leave by reinstating Lance Armstrong as the winner. I think it's completely misguided and misjudged and I think he's completely misread it and it it also frightens me a little bit that a lot of the other riders rode in behind them because I certainly remember, I think it was 1998 or certainly the 90s when the the riders went on strike because they said the police were looking too closely at what was in their bedrooms and the hotels. And it struck me as a, as a petulant attitude to take at the time when when cycling was at its worst. And I th- even in what they're saying this time, I think there's a, a, a hint of arrogance that cycling is now a safe enough place to be coming out with nonsense like mm-hmm. this. And that would that would bother me. I, I think it's counterintuitive and I think it's a, a really a, a bad thing for Roach to say. Interesting. i throw a
5: quote from him from last year. This is in May last year and he's talking about his issues with Paul Kimmage over the years, obviously related to doping and related to Paul Kimmage's book. He said that, I've said to him, Paul, I didn't know what was going on those years. Uh, you're riding in the back of the peloton. You can see what's going on ahead of you. I'm riding in the front with no wing mirrors. I don't know what's going on in the middle. Aside from the very patronising <laughs> element of that of that quote, the inference there is, look, I don't know about doping. And this is something that Roach used to espouse, this idea that oh, maybe doping goes on, but I don't really... It's it's nothing. It's not my bag. It's nothing to do with me. These most recent quotes from the their Telegraph article are... The most strident I've heard Roach uh, speaking in a way, and the most s- maybe cynical view I've seen him taking of of drug taking, uh, in that well, sure everyone knows this has been going on for mm. years.
2: Yeah, and it, it, because it's been going on for years, it's okay to reinstate someone when actually cycling has a they have a a symbol of how rotten the sport was, and that's Lance Armstrong, and they have all of those tours that he won, which symbolizes the fact that they were rotten during those years and before those years. And uh, f- for him to be reinstated sort of removes that symbolism. Mm. And certainly with when generations after ours, when they come along, they should know that Lance Armstrong cheated to win those tours. There shouldn't be a sort of seamless continuity of winners that in time will be forgotten. They should be there. The, they should be symbolising the disgrace the sport of cycling brought to sport. And I think Roach in his comments is just cranking down the importance and it sends out a very bad message. Okay. Johnny, great stuff. Thank you. Okay. Go on.
3: Thanks. The hairdryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a yeah, furious yeah. yeah. blast of yeah. temper. The hairdryer with which
5: uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham.
3: Oh, he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no
5: should mention in amongst all of this Stephen Roach talk and the reaction to his quotes that Pat McQuaid was speaking this week. I don't know if you saw this, but he says that Lance Armstrong was a victim of a witch hunt and that while, while, while Pat McQuaid himself said that Lance Armstrong has no place in cycling, Pat McQuaid now reconsiders that and feels that maybe there is a place in cycling for Lance Armstrong. But at the time, there hmm. was no, he was caught up in the emotion of it. There was no yeah. place in cycling for he Lance Armstrong. He was leading the
3: witch hunt. Well, brandishing he,
5: he claimed yeah, it's Travis Tigard leading the was leading yeah. the witch hunt.
0: Yeah, Pat was more like sort of the, the local cleric who yeah. he uh, was rather pres- facilitating the... He wasn't really too sure about this whole, <laughs> you know, let's banish uh, Frankenstein's beast from the village. Sure. I mean, he had to be convinced. Yeah. But at the end, he saw it as an important role, yeah. uh, as more as a symbol. Then
5: driving force behind the pitchforks yeah, yeah. and the lit hay bales. If you've been enjoying the golf today, have a read of Dave Hannigan's piece in the Irish Times today. He was—I uh, hadn't realised there was. There's an ESPN channel online dedicated only to Tiger Woods' movements in this tournament, which should be quite fascinating to look at. The point that they've presented this in the overall context of just how reliant American TV is on Woods, which is fair enough. We probably knew that element, but. The point made is that they've made it that way by promoting Tiger over the years at the expense of other golfers. And even when Tiger's not in contention, they present it as though he is because they mm. want to show him and they fail to develop the characters of some of the other guys. Maybe Phil Mickelson aside.
0: Yeah, the amount of times you you uh, see a TV advertisement for a tournament that starts with... Tiger Woods may not be playing in this tournament with a shot of Tiger Woods, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. there is golf. But there is still a galaxy of stars, yeah. and then you fly through like fifteen phases really, really quickly. Matthew
5: Clerkin talks this weekend to Ken McMenamin in Saturday's Irish Times, uh, which I'm sure you'll read, Ken. You'll definitely read that piece because you get very excited about these Dublin Mead clashes. Well, this is what do you think the, about this
3: weekend. This is about the Dublin plain Mead this weekend. Of course, you know that, Ken. Well, I think we'll send them back, uh, back to the plains of Royal Mead. Uh, with their tails between their a legs. A very
5: short journey back to me.
3: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think it's great the way they keep coming back at us.
5: But uh, they don't fear the dubs, again they? Wouldn't fear the dubs. I they suppose they have
3: no choice. The fixtures tell them they have to come up here every year and uh, and uh, and receive a lesson. But hopefully, over the over the years, as the years pass by, they'll learn something.
0: Mm. And maybe you know they should be thankful.
3: When you're getting a paddling like that, sometimes it can be difficult to absorb the knowledge. That's being imparted at the same time. But, you know, they've got a year, they'll have a year then until the next Championship action to reflect uh, and see if they can put any of those lessons into uh, into practice.
5: Drop us an email. What's our email address, Murph? It's secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. Do get on to irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Have a listen to some of the other shows out there. And in the meantime, thanks very much. You've greatly enjoyed bringing the show. It's great to have Ken back.
3: Thanks, Owen. Thanks,
5: and thank Kieran. you, Kieran. Thanks, again. Thanks, lot. Have a listen to our football show; it's out there too. Take care, bye. bye That's the second time Never
2: home. They never home. They never home. Those
4: those boys. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?